Hello and welcome to StratHack, a new podcast series that aims to dig deep into the art of strategy and decision making, hosted by me, Sarah Holland, and me, Amelia Tarode. We're the two founders of the Thornbreak Collective, an award-winning brand consultancy based in London, but working all over the world. In each episode, we lift the lid on a company or individual who inspires us, talking with them about the decisions they've made and the strategic process they've gone through to achieve success. Then we identify and highlight the key brand lessons and marketing learnings which we believe will be applicable to businesses anywhere. Before asking ourselves and you the really tough question, so what are we now going to do differently? In today's episode, we're talking eat trout to help out, what exactly a chalk stream is and why it matters, and what happens when you realise you can't furlough fish with Chalkstream founder, Hugo Hardman. This is a story about the theory of a test and learn mindset in the reality of a global pandemic, of pride, provenance and partnership, and what happens when sometimes things don't go quite according to plan. And, of course, some really, really tasty fish. Welcome to StratHack. We're so pleased to have Hugo Hardman, founder of Chalkstream, a business based in the heart of the English countryside in Hampshire. Chalkstream is a fish business, but no ordinary fish business, the finest trout from the finest waters. We have a story to share with you today about a young business, sustainable, focused, almost destroyed by COVID, but re-emerging as a different business and a stronger one, a business reborn. Let me introduce you today to Hugo Hardman, founder and managing director of Chalkstream. Welcome, Hugo. Hugo, can you tell us a little bit about um, the birth of your business of Chalkstream? How how exactly did you come from um, selling coffee in London, you talk about coffee beans and machines in your own words, to to moving to Hampshire and falling in love with trout? And and what exactly is a Chalkstream? Well, there's a lot of questions in there, Amelia. I was, as you said, I had a coffee business in London for about 18 years. I was fortunate, it was fortunate timing. It was just before the whole arrival of Starbucks and everyone wandering around holding a you know, takeaway coffee. And I literally started just going around knocking on doors trying to sell coffee, which I was buying from a mate of mine's roastery. And it was all very basic. But and then as the as the sort of you know, as that industry took off, some people with Sunny Rail remembered oh, the guy used to come around knocking on doors in his van at weekends and stuff like that. So um the business grew quite well and we were well positioned for that market at the time it was a fun very competitive very tough industry to be in grew that over a number of years uh, ended up selling the business in 2011 at that point i was moving my family out of london and didn't really want another business in town as much as such so i, I was looking around i still i had to do a sort of two-year earnout, so i had plenty of time on my hands but i knew all my expertise lay in hospitality um, and supply, and that's where all my contacts were, all the restaurants, every, everyone I knew was in that sort of world. So it's quite tough to find a business that sort of ticked those boxes and meant that I didn't have to go on a train every morning. And by chance, I came across a friend of a friend who um, owns a trout farm in Hitchin Abbas, a guy called Nick, who's actually brilliant and instrumental in everything we've done now um, as a director of, of my business as well. And um, he uh, he showed me he showed me his farm. He showed me what he did. He showed me this beautiful setting and explained that you know the industry, the trout industry, has been around for a long time, just using small fish 
like you would have seen in the 70s and 80s, sort of winking at you on a plate, covered in almonds. Um, and while I was, I saw these other big fish. I said, why, why don't people sell bigger fish? And no one's really ever tried particularly to do that. And so we set about growing bigger fish and taking those to some of my old customers um, that I'd had from the coffee world. You know, to start with, I was slightly, you know, laughed out of town. But they, once they tried the quality and, and, th- and looked at the provenance and everything about it, it started more and more people, more chefs at the start, all started going, this is, this is something, I, we'll definitely give that a go. To it. And uh, always amazed by the quality. Locals started buying it, local pubs started buying it, a few local farm shops, and that's how it sort of slowly started becoming a, uh, a business. It's very, very tough. Again, I got in a van and went around and knocked on doors, just like the old days. But quickly, people realised there was an alternative right on their doorstep. And we've been incredibly open about welcoming people down to see what we do. And we've given a lot of samples away to a lot of people. I've been very involved with Hampshire Fair, which is an organisation which helps promote artisan uh, food, well, food and hospitality businesses within Hampshire. They were great to me at the start as well. So all sorts of things fell into place. And uh, it just seemed a good time to be selling sort of healthy protein. Um, and you were selling to amazing places. You were, I mean, weren't you selling to, 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 to the Ritz and to cruise ships and to Michelin-starred restaurants? I mean, you really made yeah. a name for yourself. Yeah, we've been in a lot, a lot of uh, leading restaurants, hotels, and uh, it was fantastic. And, and we had, you know, a lot of chefs. And the cruise liners have been fantastic to us right almost from the start. They realised that it was a good story for them to have local fish that they could serve on board uh, and tell the story that the ships basically set sail from the from the mouth of the, of the river. So it was easy for them to sort of to, to put some provenance behind, behind a local story. And, and they're, they're brilliant at promoting local suppliers where they can. They've been very good to us. So, of course, they're not having a great time. Yeah, I guess else, just to pick moment. up on that. So all's going swimmingly. Sorry for the dreadful pun. <laughs> um, but, you know, you're using, you're using that playbook that you know. You're building the business the way that you know how to build yeah. it. Yeah. And actually then almost a year ago now, March 2020 happens, and that playbook yeah. doesn't yeah. apply anymore. And when we've been talking to a lot of yeah. kind of founders and, and how people have adapted um, and what they've had to – some of the decisions that they've had to make in their business, and it's really easy to look back with a – with a narrative of success and to sort of take the emotion out of it and to say, look at how amazingly well you've done in these 12 months without actually recognising that at that moment in March of last year, that must have been really tough. There's a, there's a real emotional hit when your young business yeah. and everything that you know is kind of falling apart around you. And it would just be really great to kind of hear how you kind of dealt with that, how you went back to basics and how you made those strategic decisions to get yourself through that time and get yourself back with some momentum i guess yeah well it was like for everybody i mean it was horrific and it happened so much faster than anyone was could imagine a business could stop trading you know one minute we was you know we were selling to thousands of kilos um and overnight we lost everything we i think we went down to not to two orders in a week or something i knew it was critical for the business and and like it was for everybody but i it was really hard to see a way out of it. And our problem is you can't furlough fish. So we can't, just, you know, there's no, we, no option to stop what we're doing. So instantly I had to find new markets. And as hard as that seemed, it was back to getting in a van again, weirdly, for a third time in my life. The, the other thing about this whole crisis is it, it makes you make instant decisions. You can't go to committee. You can't have meetings. I was literally making decisions in the middle of the night and then getting up and making them happen. 
The first one was producing a leaflet, which I just went to the local printer half a mile away. We printed 2,000 leaflets saying, buy a Hampshire box and we'll deliver it to your door. And this is way before anyone else was doing these food boxes. And we literally went out with my family and the girls from, uh, actually everyone, the boys from the processing as well. We went around, we all picked villages and towns. I went to London, all filled. We just went knocking on doors, bringing them through you know, doorsteps and letterboxes. And, and suddenly that created a whole sort of, in, a, a lot of interest. And it was it was like an old sort of pyramid scheme. A friend would tell a friend, would tell a friend. And then, and that grew really, really well. And then by Easter, it was becoming, you know, people were sending them to all their, it was a great way of keeping in touch with people, sending them something that they couldn't really get hold of at home. Um, and we put little touches in, like we put lemons and chocolates and messages and all sorts of things to make it more of a sort of, fun thing to receive rather than just just fish just made it up as we went along and it just seemed to work and at the same time the other market we we, we saw explode into life was farm shops and delis and village shops and local box schemes and all that sort of thing. so i mean you know we had a win behind us we were lucky i think we worked very hard but we um we had a good story and it was just you know, it was that beautiful summer as well it was just spring there. It was incredible. It was a good time to be selling what we were selling. And it just came together and we had, you know, endorsements and, and all sorts of things like that. So in time, it just, it made life a little bit easier for us and it, and it started to grow and um, basically it's our new business now. So it's just working out how we tap the old business onto the new business when it will I think you're right, Hugo. I think you did have a good story. And I, I'm trying to think back to, to when I first came across you and I think it must have been on Twitter actually, where different people were talking yeah. about the farms and the fish and you know the importance of of local maybe it was even to do with Jamie Oliver who, who'd got involved with you and I think I know he was getting involved yeah. with British cheeses right. as well and, and I just remember being really struck by I think you're right I was struck by the story um and I you know then I did my first order yeah. and then the thing that really struck me was just how professional and how beautiful the, the box and the product, and you'd mentioned the lemons and little chocolate fish and things, all the little touches. And, and you said you kind of made it up as, as you went yeah. along. I'm really, really interested in how the Chalk Stream approach to marketing, how much is kind of learned and how much is, is almost instinct and just by doing what you think is the right thing. I think, I think to be honest, I mean, I, it's, all, it's all seems to be instinct, really. I mean, I, I don't have any experience in that world at all. But we just, I don't know, I just have a feel for what I think people are looking for in a in, in, in the gesture of a box of fish. It's not very, you know, traditionally, it shouldn't be a particularly nice thing to receive, I suppose. But um, no, I, you're nice to me. I don't really know. I don't know where it comes from. But, you know, they've got a good, there's good fun here. We bounce ideas off each other um, and try and come up with sort of novel ideas. We're trying to launch fish cakes next week at the moment. So, yeah, as I said, we've all seen... What about the beautiful branding? Really. You've got some wonderful branding. Where, where's that come from? That was pre-COVID. Um, and that was... Um, yeah, there was a friend of um, one of the directors, Arthur, who who knows uh, Camilla, who, who paints these amazing pictures with uh, using the tails of... Um, sort of the feathers of pheasants. Um, and she's an incredible artist. And we'd seen her work before... We commissioned her to paint that that picture of a, of a, of a chalk stream trout, and uh, it's been yeah, it's beautiful. I think I've actually been in some of people's kitchens where they framed the packaging, which I always think is quite a, um, you know it's quite a nice thing to see. That's been very helpful. With you know, again, we just look a little bit different, do something slightly differently, 
And, Hugo, and do you think that's your, that chalk streams become a brand? Well, it, I don't know what it, what is a brand. I mean, I, yeah, I think it has in its own little world. Certainly, in the trout industry, it's probably the, you know it's a, it's a major brand, but it's um it is it is a brand. It's um. I never, I never envisaged that happening because we were. I was just always used to working in the wholesale world, so I, was, I didn't set out to, to 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 build a brand as such. Maybe um, you know a, a hospitality brand. I think it is. I mean, still, it's not a big business to me, but it's you know, it's um, it's getting it's getting there. I mean, I, you see it in a in our little world because I see it because I was looking at. No, I think I, I think it is a small brand. Wanted to pick up on Amelia mentioned just there your relationship with Jamie Oliver, and actually you've had you've had a lot of loves from chefs um and yeah i guess just how did you build out those relationships and picking i guess a little bit on the brand question which is um and your point about instinct there's there's something quite instinctive about who you work with and the and the conscious choices that you make as to who to partner with in order to sort of build your business just how important do you think those relationships and partnerships have been in building credibility fame and helping kind of helping sustain a lot of that awareness, certainly over the last sort of twelve months. Yeah, I mean, we again, we never we know, set we out to. Yeah. We didn't really know. We didn't set out to get these amazing chefs, and we've had a lot of them, and, and some fantastic leading chefs. But they are—they're a great. It's a great industry because they're they're very open with each other, um, and when they come across something they enjoy working with, and they're, they're very keen to promote it to help each other along the way. And so a lot of that has just been a sort of it's grown on its own with us, without us really going out there looking for it. Uh, and of course, people are much more interested in chefs and cooking and TV shows and all these things that, you know, and when they come across a product like ours, it's a slightly better, it's, it's something different. And and it ticks a lot of boxes for its, you know, it's a, it's a local product and um, and it's easy to work with and it's something different. So I think we've been, we've been lucky. We never really went out, um, Sarah, looking for them and such. Every single one of them, He's come here. Has been, and we very, you know, we take them around and we show them that what we do, and they've always been very encouraging and supportive. So, always the fascinating so thing about um, working in food and with chefs about how there's no, um, there's no exclusivity. The point that you've sort of yeah, said, you amazing. know, you, yeah. you work with one and somebody finds out that you're a, an amazing ingredient, they'll share. It's not a yeah. secret to be kept to yourself. It's a really interesting yeah. dynamic of how you've kind of, um, yeah. how you've been able to build that out. And like you say, you're so proud of where it comes from you're so open about kind of come in yeah, and no, particularly exactly. now you know even with consumers mm-hmm. that's spilt over into provenance where's it from how's it treated where does it come from how do i use it help me sort of understand um just yeah. strikes us certainly is something that you've done really well i think it's also interesting actually because at the beginning hugo you said that your entire market was actually wholesale so the chef's became your gatekeeper yeah. and actually when Sarah and I were, were prepping for this one of the things we were wondering is whether that beginning of only working with chefs gave you that added sort of sense of credibility and expertise actually that you wouldn't have got actually if you just started being I mean we call it a DTC brand direct to consumer what kind of chefs were you working yeah. with at the beginning yeah well, do you know, the thing is, when you work through wholesalers, often you don't know who your end customers are because they, they you know, they drive the demand through their, their wholesalers. So we were working with the wholesalers who once in a while would bring one of their chefs down. They'd have visits to be from, you know, the most unlikely people would suddenly turn up to have a look around. So we didn't really know until we got involved in doing um, 
we've like chefs fishing here. Arthur teaches them in the fish and shows them around. We have barbecues. We have all sorts of things for the chefs. Um, but a lot of that was driven by the wholesalers. You didn't know who was going to tell But you were inviting people exciting. down to the river. You were encouraging them to explore yeah. the, the countryside as well. It kind of feels like that's part of the story of Chalkstream, actually. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's 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 a unique environment, and um, that's why we, yeah, we, we we're happy to to show people, you know, just show, particularly show them the beauty of uh, of the chalk streams and the you know and the and the place and where we are down here on the in, in the Remind on the Test me, Valley. Remind me, you've said that chalk streams are very uh, are very unique. Was it was it something like there are only a couple of hundred in the whole world? Yeah, there's a couple of hundred in the whole world. Yeah, it's just. It's, it's, it's everyone, everyone who asks this seems to have a different answer, but um, there, is, there are two. I think there's 200 chalk streams in the world, and 98, I believe, are in here in England, and, and and we're very lucky to be able to to, to have use of, of, of two of the most famous ones, the sort of trophy. And why do chalk streams? Why, why, why does that yeah. make a difference? What does that do to the fish? It's just well, it's just the natural habitat. The, the water is very pure and has a lot of. Because of the chalk, it creates a lot of oxygen, and they're shallow and clear and bright and clean, and therefore it's just perfect environment. It's why Tess arguably the most popular, you know, the most exclusive fly fishing river in the world. And plus, they they create very beautiful settings as well. So, um, yeah, it's it's a wonderful it's, place. Um, a wonderful place. Interesting to hear you talk about the one thing that you do, and you know it so well, and it's it it's everything. You know, every every part of it. I imagine. You know every inch of the rivers. Um, it's it's something that you're deeply passionate about, and it's something that your business does brilliantly. And there can be a bit of a narrative that in order to grow and to expand and develop and sustain your business, you need to become less of a specialist and more of a generalist. And you, it's you, know, it it, yeah, it strikes us as that you have been very clear about the one thing that you do brilliantly. I just wonder what your thoughts are on that, and whether you can ever see a time that you will expand do anything else whether that's through partnership or or actually whether you feel strongly that your your center of gravity you know who you are and what you do and what you believe in and and, and you're going to continue to do that and grow and develop the business that way yeah it's good i mean i think one thing i wasn't expecting is that we are we're much more uh visible now you know people are much more interested in in what goes on behind talk stream and and i think i'm very conscious now we, we need to give a lot more back in terms of our focus on the future whether that's zero carbon or you know welfare and all these other things that go along with with farming which is what we're doing i think that that is for, for the business that, that, that that's the next stage is is, is because we, we didn't expect to be where we are in terms of as i said visibility as, as a brand um and we've got we, you know I and mean, it's really important that we we are and i guess clear picking up on that the, the visibility of the brand. I think I think you're completely right. I think I think Chalk Streams probably reached um, a, a, a level actually of consciousness within uh, the kind of the the, the foodie community. Uh, I think it, I think it's partly to do with the incredible product, and yeah. also I think it's probably to do with relationships with people like Jamie Oliver. Um, and I know that there's been some negative yeah. press recently about Chalk Stream. I guess I just wanted to to ask you to to sort of talk about, A, what happened, and then also how a young business like yours deals with something like that. How do you bounce back from, 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 from sort of difficult situations? 
Yeah, I mean, it's again, it's, it's having never a had a business like this before, or expected, you know, as you say, on the back, the back of quite a lot of publicity, there are people, you know, there, there are question marks about businesses all along, and uh, we had we had some issues with one of the, one of the farms we use. There were some some welfare issues, which were fine and actually easily resolvable and everything, but put a sharp focus on, you know, what do you do in that situation when you are just a, a very small brand on the back of a huge, yeah, very sudden expansion and knowing how to deal with that. And actually, we, we, we've learned a lot and we're learning a lot and we're working even more closely with the, you know, with the farms, um, with everything within the business, just to check that, you know, we, we, we have to stick behind the brand promise and the brand itself and everything we've said to everybody. And, you know, and that's why I've always said, come and see us. You know, we, are, we do not hide anything. And maybe that was... You know, maybe that doesn't always work in your favour, but I think you know, that's, that's the only way. I'm no, I think it's interesting. I think you know what you guys have probably experienced is what a lot of businesses go through, which is kind of the brand and the supply tra- chain, and you make a kind of a. a I don't yeah. know. We always think you know, a brand is a type of promise. You know, it's a it, that that and and actually, right. yeah. when you're positioning yourself within the world of sort of sustainability and ethics and doing the right thing that actually what it does mean is that every piece of the kind of uh, of the supply chain has to be kind of whiter than white um as well and actually you know you're you, there's standards right. that you have to hold yourself and your partners accountable to so how's that impacted either who you partner with i mean what what what, what advice or what learnings have you had from from having to deal with that I think it's uh, it's you know I think everything I think the thing was I think the whole the whole experience was, was very you know it's um, weirdly enough very positive for 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 us you know it, it, you just don't you don't quite know how to handle it when you a it's not <laughs> you're doing I mean you're relying on on, on farming practice which is you know chalk screen is not you know we're we're a brand so it's quite hard to have to turn the back on our suppliers and just check every area of, of their working practice. Um, but it has meant that we have been able to look into it you know, in, in very thoroughly, and um, and actually, uh, it was it was it was a, it was a small part of what we do. It hasn't affected the business in any way. In fact, it, it, if nothing else, it's it's we've talked to our customers, and they all seem you know happy with what happened and what's happened, and how we followed up. It made us strong. It made us. Did more, I read that uh, your sales actually space. went up? Yeah, they 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 did. <laughs> they they have because people are like, oh, talk to him. Yeah, and we were very upfront. Send an email to our customers uh, and explained, you know, that it was something you know that there'd been an issue, and actually it was it's moved on and um, it's part of having a brand, I suppose. And everyone's told me that's you expect that, particularly when you're on the back of a lot of publicity from you know some, some fantastic people like Jamie Oliver, who, who has been you mentioned um, lessons learned there and things that you feel you've learned and. Earlier in no. our conversation, you talked about instinct. And I just wondered if you could kind of share a few more um, in terms of things that you've learned over the last 12 months, but also just, you know, you talked about uh, instinct, being able to kind of cut through the kind of bureaucracy, make fast decisions, act, learn, um, adapt, not overthinking yeah. things, experiment, but also some sort of interested in pulling on that a little bit, but also the sort of other side of instinct of, when did you know the business was going to be okay? Was there a moment at, at all over the last 12 months where you thought this is still graft and there's still grind, but I think we've come far enough? Was there a point at all where you kind of, where that confidence shifted or 
is it still just forward momentum at the moment? I think I, yeah, it's a good question. I think I, th- I knew. I suppose within three months, I, I thought we, we would be okay. I didn't think we would at the start, and um, it was just these unbelievable amount of amazing people and the emails we've we've been getting from people we supply all the time, and then repeat orders. And then we did. We have a subscription service. You immediately get an idea of you know when you get subscribers, then you realise that you know you, that's fantastic because then you can build it. Then you've got a sort of base every month, plus. It's just, yeah, we've had good press and we've had good people. And I, I don't, it's just been an amazing journey. I wouldn't want to go back you know, to the one start. One of the again, things you no talked way. at the beginning was, you know, so originally Chalkstream started as a wholesale business. Then, you know, in the space of a week, yeah. that, you know, you, you lost you lost everything, all, the, all those customers. And then you've reinvented yourself mm. as a really successful modern uh, DTC direct to consumer, so di- sell it, selling directly to to people, people, people like like me, of which I'm a proud, a proud monthly subscriber. Oh, and the question is really, God. what happens when the business, when the restaurants come back? Um, yeah, well, I think we we are getting ready for that. I, I think we are in a, in a position now to to welcome them back and, and offer the same levels of you know, service to restaurants. I think there'll be a natural drop-off of our, our direct stuff because people will hopefully will be going to restaurants and eating it there rather than having to order it. And, you know, so I, we, we, we're ready for it. It's what we really understand. It's a lot easier, Why is it easier? funny enough, um, dealing with 20. Well, we had literally we had 70 customers before. Now we've got 10,000 or something, you know. So it was, um, you know, it was a much easier, um, a, a, an easier business. I just can't. I just cannot wait for it to, to start coming back and um, seeing us on menus again. And you know, and and, and that's that's much that's a much easier business to run. Funnily enough, so in a way, I think when we put the two back together again, throwing the cruise liners, then I think we'll have a really you know, I think the future's looking well. Is, we is certainly good for think us. so. Yeah. When when Sarah and I were were thinking about um, the plan for this podcast series. The, the question that we asked ourselves was, what are the brands and what are the businesses that we found ourselves talking about with our clients? Um, and actually, Chalkstream was, was one of them that we've, we've talked about, um, we've uh, uh, spoken at conferences about. And I guess from our perspective, it struck us as a really good story about um, a group of people when faced with, you know, potential catastrophe um, thought with imagination yeah. and a real kind of sort of a clarity around the business that they wanted to be in. And, you know, we 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 cite we cite Chalkstream um a lot actually. And it was really, it was great to 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 meet with you and to hear the story from 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 you actually. So thank you so so much for spending the time with us. Thank well, you. Well thank you for inviting me. So, Amelia, what was it about the Chalkstream story that really resonated for you? I mean, I just love this brand. And I mean, I know I've talked to you about this before. And I think I think actually the, the moment that we got our first box, which would have been in April or May of 2020, it just struck me that it was a business that was trying to do something really different. And I guess, I mean, goodness, there are so many learnings and there are so many takeouts that I took from that conversation with him but I think 
probably the place that I'd start is just the importance of the story. Um, I think mm. that's what really struck me with Chalkstream. And maybe it's because we're locked down and we can't go anywhere. But when Hugo talks and when you get, when you see the website, which, you know, I'd urge, urge, urge any listeners to go and have a look at chalkstreamfoods.com. It's so beautiful and so evocative. And it just paints this incredible picture of this beautiful kind of rural idyll. Like I can almost feel the sunlight, dappled sunlight on the waters of these rivers, these chalk streams. And I guess for me, that was so key because it was kind of place and provenance. And I just, I just wanted to go there. I wanted to see it. I wanted to visit it. It was incredibly that the story just kind of grabs you emotionally. But also what I find fascinating is that it kind of, it also roots it in a rational. So when Hugo was talking about these incredible rivers, so, you know, what she said, he said, you know, there are sort of 200 chalk streams around the whole world, but is it 98% of them are found in the UK? And, and what makes a chalk stream different is that the, the strength of the water, they're very, very fast flowing rivers, um, very fast flowing, very pure and very clean, which means that the fish um, are very, very lean and very strong and swim kind of beautifully in this incredible water, which gives you this incredible product. And I think that kind of the combination of the rational reasons to believe, well, I guess the rational reason to buy with an emotional reason to believe, I thought that was, I thought that was kind of fascinating actually. Yeah, it's funny. I uh, I remember you sending me the um, uh, the WhatsApp. I think you sent me of the of the packaging because what what struck I me. Think I, did. I think yeah, that's you right. did. And and because we're weird and we send each other messages with packaging pictures on. <laughs> yes. But I I um I can remember the 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 painting, and actually even that just feeling sort of quite different. And hearing you, apart from making me slightly misty eyed and wanting to go and walk by a riverside look at the fish and maybe have a picnic or something um is actually when we sort of talk about the some of the juxtaposition of that and actually there was all that kind of beauty and nature and actually that sense of humor like I loved that kind of <laughs> I loved the like you know this the eat trout to help out yes that was stickers. brilliant wasn't it and just you know just on whether it's on socials or whatever and just being still being able to have a bit of fun with it and I guess it there's a lot of these that we've seen, that have, you know, some of which have always existed, but feel like we've definitely seen them more over the last sort of 12 months of this. They're such a specialist business. They haven't even tried to be sort of all fish. They do one thing. They know it inside out. They absolutely believe in it. They believe in the importance of it. And just that kind of commitment to quality of it. And I guess that's where a lot of that, you know, that we talked about with you go one of the thing, you know, it's why chefs come down to kind of visit and why people yes. use it as an yes. ingredient and people people buy into it and they buy into that story because it's a story well told, but it's also true. That was interesting that the the that Chalkstream had started as a wholesale business and the importance of you know the chefs, whether it was Jenny Oliver or Ottolenghi coming down. I mean, I kind of have this image in my mind of you know all these incredible chefs you know, driving down from London in their in their fancy cars and having a day, you know, with Hugo 
fishing and oh, yeah, having like Range Rover in the car park, something yeah. like that. But, <laughs> but I think you know he talked about the fact that you know lots of school kids come, and he talked about yeah. scouts and brownie groups coming, and, and and then the fact that he invited you and I to, he was like just come down anytime it's legal, you know, come come and have a look. He's obviously so proud of what he's created. I think that sense of love and passion for what you do, you know, it's authentic or it's not. And it comes through, it comes through beautifully. Yeah. And just that sense of actually, which I guess is sort of imbued in the brand of just, um, you feel like they're a great host. Sort of yes. a, a quite like yes. a, it, it, it is, you know, there's lots of, brands that we look at and you can that try to fake provenance or brands that try and root themselves in somewhere but actually they wouldn't exist if they weren't where they are so that kind of locality and that feeling of coming to them and hosting yes though i guess Do you know what what you, that well, kind no, of knowledge complete, completely yeah. agree and i suppose what is interesting is they had some they had a catastrophe you know so yeah back in um, I think it was March, somebody went undercover with a with a phone and they took, you know, mobile phone footage of um, one of the, the, the farms that's connected to the river, the trout, one of the trout farms. Um, and people were, I mean, it sounds an odd thing, but kind of really abusing the fish. I mean, you know, it was, it was a horrible video to watch. And I guess partly that's almost the sort of, the double-edged sword of publicity. So, yeah. you know, you, you're you befriended and helped by somebody like Jamie Oliver, who does it exactly, you know, with huge good intentions and exactly, you know, no ulterior motive apart from helping out a small British business. But the kind of the spotlight of publicity shines on you. And, you know, nobody would ever have tried to come and check out their supply chain if Jamie hadn't got involved, I don't think. There's that sort of combination of it's a bit tall poppy and it's a bit it's a bit actually that, you know, people certainly of his level of fame are, I guess, a bit of a lightning rod. Yes. And he yes, comes a lighthouse and a lightning rod, isn't it? Yeah, it's a lighthouse and a lightning rod. Yeah. And it's um but all of those names and all of those chefs or restaurants previously when they were just that wholesale business, you know, that's because they're the best at what they do. All of us need to think more about ingredients and where they come from. And that's part of that message of, you know, do shop specialist, do try and find the best. Everything doesn't necessarily start off its life wrapped in plastic on a supermarket shelf. And you can now, that's part of this interesting thing, actually, of that that's now opened up. So previously, you or I couldn't have accessed that because we weren't we weren't the kind of head of buying at Le Gavroche. We didn't, we wouldn't have been able to kind of access. And now we've got this whole thing where you can get the ingredients that you can kind of get in other places. And it's a really interesting dynamic that's come out with a lot. There's a lot of these kind of specialists that that we would now have access to or maybe wouldn't have been aware of. And I guess, we, you know, like you say, it's the double-edged sort of No, I think that's that right, though. But Sarah, I think, I think, I think you've got, there are sort of two points that you just made there, which I think are worth just focusing on. Yeah. I think the first point you made is, is about, and I guess the <laughs> one for a better phrase, kind of when you position a brand as good, quote unquote good mm. or sustainable, that actually you have to be you have to be good. Yeah. And actually that is your supply chain at every touch point. 
that can either make or break a brand. So I think, I think, I think that was your first point, which I completely agree. The second is the changing dynamics of, you know, the awful phrase kind of D to C direct to consumer. Mm. But, but that is something interesting. I guess what I'd be interested in, Sarah, is your thoughts on whether that's a fundamental change and that's something that will stay changed or that will kind of revert back into our big supermarket habits or the fact that we can now buy direct from a trout farm or from an apple cider vinegar orchard or from um, a dairy in Suffolk. Do you think we'll carry on doing that or do you think we'll kind of revert back to type? Yeah, it's interesting. So I think first kind of caveat point would be that it's still pretty niche consumer behaviour. There's an element of privilege involved with being able to kind of buy specialists. So there's it, it's certainly not going to, I don't think anyway, mass consumer behaviour is not going to change. Tesco, market, is, Tesco it, isn't yeah, worried. T- t- Tesco's not going to worry. However, I do think that that what we've now learnt is that previously I think we thought that it was really difficult to to buy things from specialists or individually other than maybe doing like a run to the cheese shop for the cheese board for Christmas or a certain kind of time yeah, of the year. Yeah, but that's different. No, 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 that's you're it. right. But even that, that's different because that's going to a cheese shop. That's going to a cheese shop. Yeah, yeah. So you, think- you, we wouldn't have dreamt two years ago, a year ago, We, I don't think we'd ever dreamt of Googling a farm and, for, and working out whether we could buy directly from the farm. I just don't think we would have done that. No, you might have visited a farm shop if it was local to you, but you certainly wouldn't have thought about deconstructing what's in your fridge. Yes, no, that's, without sounding that's too market, Without sounding yes. too marketing about it, which I'm aware the word deconstructing automatically makes it. But anyway, I think what we're going to see when we put that back together is actually I want to be able to buy certain things from certain places. I want to be able to buy my tea from Brew & Co. I want to be able to buy, you know, um, think back to one of our earlier episodes. I want to be able to buy my fruit and veg from Smith & Brock or whatever, or whatever your equivalent is, wherever you are. You might want to buy certain things that are about provenance and you do care about, maybe it's about welfare to your point about the trout farming or you can put kind of those elements together. But actually, firstly, you're always going to want your basics and other than maybe your kind of rise of, I'm thinking like your who gives a crap of the world, you know, your sort of, which is a sustainable kind of toilet roll subscription service, maybe some of your basics are kind of popping up. And there are kind of some of those startups like Bother, which is, you know, yes, an, anything in a tin or, 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 or in your the bo- It's the boring stuff. It's the boring, yeah, all the boring yes, stuff. You know, your fresh stuff over there for everything else, there's Bother. Um, or like I say, your kind of subscription stuff, like who gives a crap, which you're sort of buying into, you're buying into a lot more there. But still, you know, again, not everyone's got room for 48 rolls of toilet roll in their house, etc. So I, I, I do think there's an element of you're always going to need basics and you're always going to need to go and buy cereal and you're always going to need to go and buy milk. And you're also always going to need convenience. One of the things around this way of consuming is you have to know, you have to plan. You get what's in your box and that's what you have if you have yes, a missing no, thing. So that's true, but that's different. I mean, I think so so that's when you get a box and they that's like a Smith and Brock box. I guess what's different about this, and I guess you know, I think you touched on it earlier, which are the rise of the kind of super specialists. Yes. You know, yeah, all they do definitely. is trout. Yeah. So, you know, so and and but I guess that there's another thing that is interesting when you think about 
changing consumer consumer behavior. I think this was something that Hugo said to us actually when after we'd stopped recording, where he talked to us about uh, free delivery, uh, the yes. power of free, yeah. and the fact that you know even with you know his trout, which it's not it's not cheap, you know, so people who are buying them are wanting to get quality and independence. They're buying into the provenance, but you know, Hugo was saying that smaller businesses like his really struggle with the fact that people expect mm. free delivery. And actually, if there isn't free delivery, they'll walk away from a basket. Um, and I thought that was fa- I thought that was fascinating, actually. And, and I kind of tried to wonder whether I saw that in my own behaviour as well. But uh, this the power of free and mm. what our expectations are as consumers, um, you do wonder how smaller businesses, you know, it's kind of fine for Amazon, but what happens to a smaller, you know, to a, to a dairy or, or to a farm? And what happens when you've got choice? So at the moment, a lot of this is kind of, you know, they've grown and they've risen up and they've built businesses in this way off the back of us as having limited choice and limited option. You know, there's lots of examples of you'll, you'll pay for delivery where you can't go, you don't have an alternative, or you might begrudgingly doing it. And even, and even as you say, Hugo kind of raised that point of people expect for a very low minimum order to be able to get that because of because of Amazon and because of free delivery stuff. And actually that is a danger and a, and a watch point in terms of that expectation when you have other options. Yes, I think it's... I, I also think it's interesting. Do you remember we asked him the question about... Um, whether he thought he was a brand, well, not he was a brand, whether Chalkstream was a brand. Yeah. And he had to sort of think about it a bit. And I remember his his answer was that he said that almost apologetically, I think we're a little brand. And it always strikes me as, as funny. I know it's a question we're going to ask everybody that comes on. This sense of, are you a brand? What is a brand? We're very little. We can't, you know, a brand is Coca-Cola and we're not Coca-Cola. I think part of it, you sort of see it comes from that, the feeling like we've built a business. We didn't set out to build a brand. We set out to build a business. Oops, we did this by accident. Um, Whereas actually, when you look at it, and going back to your point at the top of this conversation, when you look at the level of consistency and the level of detail and the thought and the care and the putting the customer first are all things that if you were trying to start a brand, (laughs) you would absolutely start with knowing who you are, why you exist, what you do well, um, what your place is in the world, what your context is, what you believe in, what you're motivated uh, by. Uh, absolutely. Good, and of course, and of the course they stuff. are, of course they are a brand. Yeah. You know, so when, when you go yeah. on to, you know, when you go, when you see on a restaurant, which I have, you know, chalk stream trout, that, that, because that tells you something yeah. about the product, you know, the product being trout, chalk stream being the brand, you know, the brand, brand as a promise, brand justifying the, you know, the price and the brand allowing you to expand. So, you know, you know, to him talking about things like fish cakes and pâtés and, you know, again, all based from the trout. But it, of, of course it's, of course it's a brand. And, and actually as the business develops, it'll be really interesting to see, you know, does it remain independent? Do, do they, do they sell to somebody? And, and they, you know, that, that whole thing about how, um, how much do you value a brand and, you know, putting a financial, um, you know, putting a financial number on, on the worth of the brand as well as something that's going to be really interesting for, for Chalkstream. So if we were to focus on our kind of our, our favourite killer question, so mm-hmm. what would I do differently on Monday morning? 
What's yours? I think that I would think about um, place and provenance in the story. I think that we are more than ever before looking for brands that can deliver with authenticity. And, you know, I don't think that's anything new, but I do think that we are almost not living vicariously through brands, but I think what we buy, I'd argue, has had more meaning in the last 12 months. And I think think that's something that will only um, increase in importance. What about you? For me, actually, it is starting to think about what happens now, and I'll say post-COVID, um, which might not age might not age well by the time this goes episode goes up, but we'll see. I think, no, so we'll we'll blame you if uh, yeah, yes, blame, blame me for jinxing us if we're in lockdown six or something by the time this goes up. But it's actually starting to think about brand as the glue for when you're now trying to bring back what have become two sort of two different businesses, how you fold those back together, and actually not thinking of in this case, it's we were we were wholesale. And then we did D to C and actually not thinking about necessarily trying to integrate them back together, trying to think of it as actually a new business with two streams or puns intended with chalk stream. And actually that brand is the thing that keeps, that will be, enable you to bring those things back together. What chalk stream is and what it stands for is not different in, there's a different context with wholesale and there's a different context in D to C, but fundamentally the brand at the heart of it is the same and actually trying, I think there's a massive lesson as lots of businesses now trying to figure out how post COVID they do the thing that they did before and the thing that they've been doing during and what they sacrifice and what they keep doing and, you know, what darlings to kill, etc. that actually keeping coming back to that quite simple, just brand is the glue, brand yeah, is your yeah. North Star, the brand is the thing that will navigate you through that decision. And as you start to fold those bits of, what might now be feel like quite disparate bits of a uh, business back together that actually that's the lesson for me brand is that brand is the glue thank you for joining us today you've been listening to strat hack with me sarah holland and me amelia tarode founders of the form break collective to find out more visit wearefornbreak.com and for more information about today's guest everything we've discussed and how to get in touch with us about this podcast please check out the notes that accompany this episode <laughs>